This is Jonathan Hickman, and you're listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. Music to my ears. It's that time again. It is. I'm telling you. You can get over that hump. We should do this every day. It would be fun if we did it every day. I wouldn't have to do it for two and a half hours every day, but we could do like we could kick out an hour effortlessly. Yeah, come on. What'd you read since last night? Ooh, did you know that Bazooka Joe comes with comics? <gasps> yeah. <laughs> they still make Bazooka. I'm sure they do. Yeah, right. They make Fruit Stripe. They make uh, Hubba Bubba. Hubba Bubba. I like saying that. Can I say it again? Hey, everybody. Don't get me started on that. We will talk after. Hey, everybody. It's 11 o'clock comics, episode 811. It's like the 411. Nah, that's stupid. It's 811. <laughs> I was trying to be clever, and I fucked it up. No, I was like, well, half of 8 and 11 would not be 411. It would be something different. And I'm Vince B. Math genius. You're mathematician, dude. Yeah. You are Vince B. I am David A. Price. Indeed you are, and I'm everyone's favorite comedian, Kevin Hart. <laughs> Everyone meaning 2% of the population. Well, that's clearly not true. Yeah, is. Stadium, so now, if you yeah. said if you said Jim Gaffigan, it would be like ninety eight. <laughs> but you're not. No, you're not Kevin Hart. I bet you're hung like him though. You're Jason Wood, everybody. Oh, he's got a he's got a cannon, you know that. Right? Yeah, I know that. That's why I said it. I wish, I wish everybody's together again for this regular old episode, sponsored by our patrons. The lovely people who traipse on over to patreon.com slash 11 o'clock comics. One, one, no apostrophe. They are there en masse for us each and every day, supporting us, making all this kind of stuff possible. And we, in turn, give back to them with images and audio files, sometimes six hours a month of stuff that the regular feed doesn't see. They get fanzines and videos and they get to v- contribute to the book of the month. They offer their suggestion of what we should read for each book of the month. But the cherry on top of that delicious Sunday is the dedicated Slack channel, where we congregate each and every day, talk about all sorts of stuff, laugh, sometimes cry, offer a little bit of support other times, and uh, it, it's wonderful. So if you would like to join the old club without wearing the Mouseketeer hat, Come to patreon.com slash 11 o'clock comics. There's space for now, you on the bleachers. There absolutely is. Uh, and everything you said is absolutely 100% correct, except for the book of the month for this month. Oh, yeah, this month, right. <laughs> what is the book of the month this month, Vince? Well, we did a little bit of feet dragon. To get to this point. So we thought, you know what? I don't think, or we didn't think, that we've ever really taken a sufficient dive into this uh, series. So we are going to start proper with Sin City Volume 1. The original Sin City. That was, yeah. that was serialized in Dark Horse Presents. 
Damn skip. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to say about the creator of that work. I mean, I have so uh, f- so few things to say about him. He's the guy that wrote that uh, that, that that Batman origin story, right? I think so. Okay. Yeah, I think it was him. I think it was he. Yeah, I'm just freaking stunned. Speaking of feet dragon, oh. I I am stunned that both of you, with the amount of television that you consume, have not watched Sandman yet. You're killing Not true. Me. No. Oh. We have watched, Renee and I have watched every episode except so far. We have the season finale and the bonus apps to watch. So we've, we have watched it. I haven't gone into any of the threads on the Slack about it. I know that um, because I don't want, I, I just, I wanted to finish it before I see what everybody's been saying about it. Um, That's wise. That's why I've, I've I've absolutely enjoyed everything I've seen. Death is is she's one of my favorite characters in it because I love the High Cost of Living miniseries. That was my was one of my favorites. Those three issues are stunning. Uh, so I was so delighted to see her um, appear on the show and how she appears on the show. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, and and what's weird is Renee didn't think. She was going to dig it, but by the time we got to the end of the first episode, she was like, all right, I'm in. It's it's ironic, uh, at least from my perspective, that the weakest link in the show is the title character. Bruh, (laughs) let's not talk about it. I don't don't see it. Okay. All right. You know what? I have started, and I'm almost done, um, which isn't comic-related, Severance. Wait, Uh, second? I watched the first episode of that and didn't didn't care for it. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Is the second season out? No, 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 no. Oh, no, you guys no. are late to the I'm finally party. Watching, I'm finally, yeah, I'm late. To, I'm finally watching the first season. There, oh, it's wonderful. So frequently good. It's wonderful. I, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Uh, wait till you get to the end. I can't wait. It's I, I'll, awesome. I'll watch a little bit more before uh, when, when we're done tonight, before I go to bed. Yeah. So cool, Dude, I gave the monster of all spoilers to my wife today. <laughs> I felt bad. For <laughs> what? Well, she never watched Game of Thrones. So she oh, shit. To watch it. Okay. So she's, like, been watching it a lot, and... Her, Colin and I were sitting at dinner and she said she's watched the first eight episodes and I'm like it's crazy that Ned Stark gets killed so quick right oh because it's not the <laughs> end episode oh no see why would you do like, that what? that doesn't I make I thought it happened like the third episode oh Vince uh... no no it was the, it, because every every season of Game of Thrones the penultimate episode was kind of like the season finale then the season finale was actually kind of just the the, the cleanup before the right. beginning of the next season but yeah so 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 Ned dies and, and so, not not, but but I mean it's almost as good as Vince talking about yeah you know I saw the dragons and in the trailer meanwhile it's like that doesn't happen till the end of of, of the season and well and if you so, don't know that there's dragons in Game of Thrones I, like where I, are you living you know yeah that's <laughs> you're not I, wrong I, you're not wrong yeah. I mean great it, it was it was it was fairly new in the series so when when you know right. it, it, not everybody may have been I mean yeah here we are like you know a decade later sure you should have seen it by now or be aware of it by now yeah. right. I'm telling you, the 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 series that's going to crush all of them is Rings of Power. That looks outstanding. I can't wait. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, gonna... I've high hopes. I mean, Amazon is is betting the farm on it. So I just saw an Amazon delivery truck with Rings of Power emblazoned on the side of it today. Well, I mean, they even they even discussed it in their earnings release. I mean, which they never talk about that kind of minutia, but they are really, really they they are desperate for it to be a hit. Cool. I'm desperate for it to be good. I mean, one of the reasons I'm not watching Sandman is that I, I I have I am 
so done with watching adaptations of stuff that get canceled after a season. And already it looks like there's no guarantee we're going to get more Sandman. So I just, I don't have any interest in getting sucked in and then having the rug pulled out from under me. It happens so many times with comic stuff that I'm just not, I'm not ready for that stuff. Right, but you've read it. You know where it goes. Like sure, but that well, what does that have to do with it? But it's, there's no there. There are some surprises in it, but pretty much it plays no, but that's by not the, the. Well, yeah, it's, I don't. It doesn't. That doesn't matter for me. Like I was absolutely gutted when both Why the Last Man and Deadly Class were canceled after one season. Yeah. So I just I don't it, like it. It's it just I, I don't. You know, I mean, I think given how much Sandman seems to be a critical and commercial hit, I hope we get more, but. Right. Until I see that they've re-upped it for another two seasons, I'm I'm out. I'm not hey, but it, it doesn't really make sense to me, considering the the author of the work. Like he is one of the top writers in the world, sure. and if he can't get a show renewed, like there's something really wrong. I could see Rick well, Remender, who's great, but he's not Neil Gaiman, right? He's not. Well, the, he doesn't have that Neil, name. I mean, since when? It, but again, it's all about can you draw on TV? I don't. I don't what has Neil Gaiman done on TV? He's, he's got a well, name. There's, there's, there's the. I mean, there was the Good Omens miniseries on on Amazon Prime, but and and granted, it was on a shitty channel station. But you know, American Gods kind of petered out towards towards the end of its third season, and I haven't I haven't watched the third season. Um, but I'm surprised. I mean, maybe if it does get renewed, if if Netflix isn't feeling it, then maybe it can actually move to HBO Max yeah. and and be under the parent company. And and I absolutely, for the longest time, Jason, I I, I was with you 100. percent Listen, you know, if if if, if I'm not going to get a conclusion, if I'm not going to get a satisfying ending, I'm not going to bother with. It. Especially with there being so much to consume right now. If you're not feeling that, by all means, you can watch a million other things. But the flip side of that is, I, I'm at the point kind of now in my life where it's better to have loved and lost. So even if I only get one season of something that's really good, at least I got a season of something that's really good. And and yeah. I may not get the conclusion that the people making it was expecting, but I still enjoy those eight or ten episodes. That oh, were- yeah. Right. Well, that's yeah. the thing. I mean, if if it doesn't get renewed, then at some point down the road, I'll pop it on and be like, oh, let me check this out. I mean, I really think in the era of streaming, I'm much more uh, interested in watching stuff at my own pace when it's not in the zeitgeist. Because I, I, get, it's, it's, I get tiresome of uh, – it's just tiring to me to, to see – Everybody talking about the same thing, and everyone has to have an opinion. And yep. you got, and for no matter how much the show sucks or is great, you got to have the other people telling you why you're wrong and and mansplaining well, stuff. So I, just, right. I so I, I I haven't participated in a single one of the Sandman threads. I don't know who likes it, who doesn't. I I don't, and that's fine. Like I'll 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 get to it. You know, absolutely. Like I'm watching Better Call Saul now. I mean, it's um it's just descended. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's like all right, you know. I mean, it's over now. I've, I've heard from a million people how great it is. Uh, you know, I don't, and now I'm, I'm enjoying it. So it's I like, just have to wait yeah. for that le- for this season that just wrapped up to uh, make it to Netflix so I can finish it. But yeah. I, I binged the five seasons like over over a few weeks. It was great. Yep. Yeah. It's, well, it's, it's, it's we better call Kirby. So let's talk about some comics here. Oh, uh, for sure. Nice. For sure. But I just I will say too, just before we move on to that, like I'm with you that it's ridiculous to make a show like that with that kind of budget and then say, Oh, but it's really expensive. Like, I mean, they, they, they couldn't have expected it to be more popular than it is. I mean, 130 million hours of viewing it in the first week. I I don't know. Like if they were expecting more than that, then I don't know what the hell they were, you know, like that has to be a smash hit for them. 
One would I think. Know. Yeah. Do you know who the biggest drawing stand-up comedians of 2019 were, Vince? Jim Gaffigan. Number three. Ooh. Um. Oh, doesn't Joe Rogan do a comedy thing? Mm, he's not on this top ten. All right, time. Chappelle. No, no. Wow. He only did like three. He doesn't do. He yeah. doesn't tour. Yeah, but look what he, he got paid. Well, this yeah. doesn't, I think, factor in the, the TV syndication specials. This is what you get paid for for actual touring, oh. like you know, like concert. Like yeah, concert I don't know. I, don't, I would guess Kevin, again. Kevin Hart. He's number one. Yeah. Wow. Fifty nine mil. People are easily so pleased. Between, so between Hart and Gaffigan, you'll be like, "Oh, of course." Oh shit! Um, who? Seinfeld. Wow. Whew. Well, he tours nonstop. That's it. Yeah, he sells out all the time. So he's like uh, Elton John's always on the list, right? Because he's always performing. Like he's all like Elton John performs all the time. So it's like yeah. Seinfeld's always doing stand up. Who are these people? <laughs> yep. You know who's number five on the list? And I, I think he's the least funny person on the planet. Sebastian Maniscalco. Oh, I enjoy him. He oh, is God. funny, though. No, especially when he talks oh, about the Entenmann's cakes and shit like that. No, he cracks me up. Yeah. And then um, Trevor Noah's fourth, which I, I got to say, I didn't even. Oh, good for him. I didn't right. know that he was that kind of draw. Yeah. yeah. Comics. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about comics. <laughs> no, yeah, not... stand up comics. <laughs> no, yeah. so let's talk about some sequential art. Oh, I, yeah, I don't... So okay, Jason. I don't think these guys draw comics. So. No, uh, even though Stan Lee was funny, but he didn't draw comics either. Let's talk about him, Jason. I know you have something that just lit a fire underneath you. Do I though? I think so. Um... I could hear it in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I will say um, I do have one thing that I, I want to get to, but I I because this is top of mind for me, I'll start with this, which is uh, this was a Fantagraphics Orama week for me. Nice, queuing it up now. And so I read three recent releases by them, pretty meaty. Um, I read The End by Anders Nilsson, which this version I have is a. Um, a re-released new version of a book that I think came out in 2007 uh, by Fantagraphics. Uh, but this is the 2022 version. Uh, and then Antoine Cosset's Metax, M-E-T-A-X. And then Ron Roger Jr.'s Halcyon, uh, I always get this word wrong, uh, Hermeneutics. So we'll start at the end because... That's the one that uh, I, I least enjoyed. Um, here's the thing about the end. It is a story that Anders wrote uh, shortly after his fiance died unexpectedly. And um, so, as you might expect, his headspace was in a, he was in a pretty dark place. <laughs> and the comic is is the graphic novel is his uh, a bunch of of short stories of his dealing with the tragedy of that. And he didn't handle it well. Not that I blame him. I don't know that I would have handled it well either. But the book is just a downer, man. And like, of course it is. I, I like. It's not like false advertising. I, I, I knew going in that that's what this book was about. So I wasn't expecting it to be a, a, a you know, a, a rip roaring adventure or anything like that. But, um, but it's just really, really, really de- like like dark. It, and and the thing is, is that 
it's very, very minimalist. I don't know if you're familiar with, with the work because, like I said, it came out in 2007. But, I mean, he it's almost like a children's book in the way it's laid out. It's, it's, it's one or two very thinly, very delicately lined renderings and then script on the other side of the page. And it's handwritten script for the most part. Uh, it's very small. And um, sometimes he'll take... Like most of the most of the renderings are just very very simplistic uh, body figures without any detail whatsoever, um, and then occasionally he'll do like an overlay of of some kind of like real life picture or imagery that he works through. Um, certainly as a storyteller, you can see that he's creative, but ah, man oh man, it was just it was just dark and it didn't have uh, the offsetting illustration that could pull me through you know where you're like the the line is so beautiful you're like oh man i can it just it was just a it was too simplistic for me of a rent of a, of a series of drawings to mask what an absolutely dark place the dude was in and uh it just felt like him getting like having catharsis and trying to get through something and, and more power to him certainly um and and i don't in any way in any way want to discredit like the work or the emotional impact the work has, but it's just, I think you need to be in the right mood to read something like this. And, um, I just, it wasn't my vibe, you know? Um, can I add something before you move on? Yeah. Um, I've read everything, uh, Nelson has done. Mm-hmm. I love his approach to comics or, mm-hmm. uh, I love his aesthetic. He's been like Kramer Zerger a couple of times. I yeah. I, I re- the visuals always connect with me. Uh, because you can appreciate them as visuals and not as links in a chain if you wanted to because I think his his panels are, are they're complete as is for me uh, as as works of art right but in terms of his storytelling I'm with you he almost never hits the mark with me and sure. the end was just a little bit too much uh, where I I felt like an observer and something that I didn't really want to observe. Yeah, precisely. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. no, I think he's wonderful. He's great. Uh, but I've never felt equally satisfied on both sides of the equation with him. It's always very lopsided in terms of the art with me. I still yeah. buy his things, mm-hmm. uh, everything he releases. But um, I know going in that it's going to be a treat for my eyes. But uh, my soul's going to walk away a little uh, hungry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the other two are certainly different, but I, I think they can be grouped together. I'm glad I read them at the same time because um, Metax is on its is probably the more linear and structured narrative uh, in that it's set in a city, a dystopian city-state called Ronin. And um, there's this precious metal uh or i guess a, a, a material of some sort called medax m-e-t-a-x and uh it's essentially vital to their survival so it's 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 an analog on you know fossil fuels or something like that um but similar to what we're facing now as a world um there hasn't been any new sources of medax in some time so so things are pretty rough for a lot of folks um and and, and this the story essentially revolves around a group of um revolutionaries that have access to medax and it gives them uh abilities in- inclusive of turning into birds uh all that sounds real cool like totally up my alley and 
Um, I do think that, like I said, the narrative was there, but um, the book, Antoine Cosset's art is, um, he's a painter, and it's abstract. All three of these books are very abstract art, right? And then that's not uncommon for fantagraphics. Um, but I, I thought that the art was certainly interesting. Um, a lot of it is like, he takes an interesting approach in the sense that you don't see it very often. He, he often will take close-ups of, of, uh, of shapes and then through the panels or page turn, he'll zoom out from the shapes that are often rendered as, as, as nothing specific and they'll coalesce into a scene. So I think that was certainly unique. It's not something we, we, we I, I see very often. Um, he he's way more interested, or at least de- adept at, at at drawing massive scaped um, cityscapes, you know, visuals of that nor- sort, than he is, say, the the interactions of, of of a couple people talking or or having an emotional um, reaction to something. So, um, I I felt like you could really see the juxtaposition between when he rendered these grand moments of 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 form in architecture versus when he had to do quieter moments of, of developing the characters. Um, where I think this is similar to the last book is that although it, this, although Medax certainly has a, has a, a, a story behind it, it, it definitely is uh, loose in that um, lots of things are introduced for a panel or page and then never touched on again. Um, you don't really get much sense as to the motivation of 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 the people we meet some no mo- no sense of it even those that that are theoretically you know, I would argue are the protagonists of the book you, you don't truly get a sense of who they are why they're committed to doing what they're doing what the end goals are um it just kind of like comes and goes and so there are moments that I thought were neat and and intriguing and there were others that I just kind of glossed over I thought okay I'm not, not quite sure what's going on there but We'll keep moving on. Um, so I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, but I don't, but I think you have to, again, you have to kind of, well, it's probably true of most fanographs. You have to be in the right mindset. It's definitely a thing where you have to kind of be willing to just go on the ride and come away knowing that you're probably not going to close the book and say to yourself, oh, this is what he was trying to tell me, or this is what it was about. You, you kind of have to come to your own conclusions as to what he was saying, why he was saying it. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. And, and and that same idea is just absolutely front and center in Halcyon, um, which I saved for last because, to my mind, it's far and away the the the, the masterpiece of the three. Um, now, Ron Roger is uh, a pretty out there dude. He's into this concept of hermeneutics, which is um, like. <laughs> I'm not even quite sure how to describe it, but it's a, it's, it's a, I guess it's the study of um, interpretation. Like it's actually the science of interpreting things, which is sort of meta, right? Because science is ultimately about trying to interpret and understand things. But it's, uh, here you go. It's the branch of knowledge that deals with interpretation, especially of religious or literary texts. And, uh, and this is his passion. This is what, uh, what, what, what Ron Roger Jr. is into. And this book, again, is entitled Halcyon Hermeneutics. 
So what's it about? Well, I can't tell you what it's about. And that's the point. I mean, I do think it's the point of the book. Um, where I think this one shines over the other two, though, is I was absolutely captivated by the art. It is, um, for the most part, it's it's a it's it's a, a visual book. Um, there are uh, pages where there are a bit of text, but for the most part, it is a visual uh, narrative. Um, it's it is less um, like on a panel to panel basis. It's much less surreal than the others. It's a much more finished. Each panel, each page is a much more finished, easily uh, digested. Um, drawing, but where he really shines is in in spite of very tight, beautiful, and, and often he uses a lot of pastels, but but well colored work. Um, the level of detail he puts in and the stuff that he's drawing are just mind boggling. Um, for a lot of it, it centers around these creatures, and I say creatures because they're humanoid. They look like. Um, they look a little bit like fairies. They they're wing they're wing. They have long hair. They have jagged teeth. Uh, sometimes they look much more devilish or goblin esque. Sometimes they look much more human. Um, in essence, I think because it, he he's he's tying all this into the idea of spirituality. I think they're meant to be uh, angels of some sort. But because he's not, this isn't a, a, a treatise on like Christianity. There's times when it looks like they're in what we would think of as heaven, but there's times when it looks like they're flying through the cosmos. Uh, there's times when they come down to what would presume to be Earth or a planet like Earth and interacting with, with like terrestrial humans. Um, and it's just, again, like I can't tell you what they're doing because it's, it's just kind of like one long journey of these creatures. Sometimes it's just a few of them. Sometimes it's lots of them. Sometimes there's thousands of them interacting with each other and morphing and turning into like fractals and uh and and, and ripping open and, and into space and 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 uh these real surreal sort of out uh uh overlays and then other times they're being impish and trying to get humans to do things and um so it's like it it goes all over the place but the visuals on this book are so stunning and it looks like a like Miyazaki tried to draw a children's book and it's so crazy, and I just was loved, loved looking at every page. I mean, I took, I really took a long time reading this, and it just, I closed the book. And similar, I, I have no earthly idea what the point of the book is, other than him just rendering his very, very um, uh, surrealistic views on spirituality and the human condition, um, and like. I was here for that, like the because the visuals connected with me so much. I it was like a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. I was there for the absolute um, uh, opaqueness of 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 the story, in as much as there even was a story. Like it's a, there's there's not really a narrative to this book, at least not that I could discern. Um, and I think that's the point, because again, like it's about interpretation. So I think the point was to give you this beautiful graphic novel with these illustrations that are captivating and let you decide what you think it's about or come away with some, a message that makes sense to you. And I, I, I think it's bold. And, uh, you know, I, I would imagine it's one of those things where if 50 of people listening to this ordered it and read it, all 50 would have to come away with a different interpretation of what the book was about. And that's pretty neat. Um, so of the three, if anyone's looking to spend some Fanta bucks, I absolutely would say Halcyon, 
uh, Halcyon Hermeneutics is the is the one uh, by Ron Roger. It was that was it was special. I love Ron's work, and uh, I have since I've uh, I first saw it. But I think the dude is is very important because uh, you know my love for the Fort Thunder. Oh group, yeah, yeah, group and Paper Rad and all that. He was speaking that visual language long before uh, that group assembled. And um, while their style, the Fort Thunder style, has trickled down into almost everything, especially uh, animation, Adventure Time, Midnight Gospel, like all that stuff, I think, owes a huge debt to uh, the Fort Thunder people. Yeah, his visual style definitely is evocative of, of Adventure Time for sure. Yeah, but I mean, he's been doing this for a, a good while. Yeah. And it's it's not like he's, you know, bandwagoneering or whatever you want to call it. He, he was one of the progenitors of this this style. So I give a lot of props to, to Ron. I, I like his work a lot. I have this book. I just haven't read it yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only one I, I don't have, uh, the ones you you spoke about, is Metax. So maybe I'll, I'll get that. Yeah. I'll, I'll get on that. But, well, uh, this made me want to read the cartoon Utopia, which I guess is considered his sort of best work to, to to date, which came out about a decade ago. So, and his style has has morphed a little over the years too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have his his original small press stuff, the like zine sized comics, mm-hmm. and they're they're different and they're borderline obscene, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, all right, good good stuff to the table. I'm going to uh, boots on the ground, bring it down to earth, away from <laughs> away from the lofty stuff that Jason yeah. uh, Fanta knows in the air. This, that was the, uh, the the comics journal sex segment of the of the show. That's okay, <laughs> but see, you don't hate everything though, right? And neither do they. That's just the the comic. They actually, I look. They they I can only find reviews on two of the three, uh, and they love them both. So, but you know, the the TCJ was always nice to kind of graphics, right? I mean, they, but it, it's it's a conflict of interest. That's of course it the is. <laughs> that's their mag. Well, now it, it's still a magazine, but there for a while it wasn't. And uh, yeah. all right, um, I I really want to get into this book, um, and it's going to sound like I love it, but at the end, uh, there there's I have a couple of reservations about this book. But overall, I did love it, and I'll tell you why. It's uh, published by Antarctic Press. It's probably one of the reasons why I love it, but it's in my zone. It is uh, called Spectraman Heroes number two. This time, we're focusing on Lion Maru. And uh, for those who don't know, Lion Maru was a, uh, a television series ran from 72 to 73, produced by P Productions. It was a period drama, which is uh, Jidageki. And uh, the title was Kaiketsu Lion Maru, which roughly translates to Vigilant Lion Knight or Extraordinary Hero Lion Maru or Swift Hero Lion Maru. I My Japanese is very rusty, so... Uh, your guesses are as good as mine, but I'm just going with the traditional Lion Maru. And it only lasted for a year, like I said. It's a great show, uh, but as part of the Spectrum and Heroes line miniseries, they are, uh, P Productions are bringing the old characters to comics, right? So 
that is the novelty of this book. And I think that's why I love it. Because being able to buy and read a Lion Maru comic in 2022 is an amazing thing. Right, I, I've lived my entire life wanting to just go to the comic shop, pull off Spectre Man, Lion Maru, Zaborger. Like, though that was unheard of. Coming up, I knew of the existence of these things, I knew of uh, the manga, but we didn't get it on this side of the water. Now everything's available all the time, so that's the one of the main reasons why I love this comic. Is it a good comic? See, how do you separate the love of the genre, the tokusatsu, with, um, I mean, I have vinyl Lion Maru characters. I've had them for decades, and I love them, and I love looking at them and, and playing with them as a grown man should, right? But it was it a really good comic? It's not bad. I mean, it, it's it's good. Is it great? No, it's not great. Uh, I have I have issues with uh, a lot of the art. But I'll tell you what it's about, okay? It's written and illustrated by Hiroshi Kanatani with the titles, the intro sequence by Matt Frank. Now, that's a name that always perks my ears up. I love his work. And uh, see, Spectrum Man is like the host of this thing. He'll come on for a page and he'll say, oh, you know, introduce you to what's going to happen. And that's awesome. And it's drawn by Matt Frank. So when? Um, but the story is a rough approximation, like a, a spirited approximation, but it's loose, uh, of the first episode of the Lion Maru TV series. Some of the details are altered or flat out eliminated. Some of the characters are missing completely. The villain is the same, though, as the first episode, so that's neat. Uh, it, as the book opens, you got a young man. His name's Kosuke. And he has uh, a flute, the Tenma flute, uh, which his father, Kiyobe, told him, take this flute, deliver it to a man named Koji Kashin. So the kid walks for five days, because this is a period piece. It's feudal Japan. And so he walks to his destination. On the way, he's beset by skull-faced ninja. Right? Guys pop out of nowhere, and it looks pretty bad for the kid. But uh, a shinobi named Shishimaru uh, helps him out. And um, it's odd because uh, the shinobi has a gold katana on his back. And the sword has a name, of course. All good swords do. Uh, Kensachi no Taichi. And the sword is locked to the scabbard. He can't draw the sword. So the kid's like, after the dust settles, he beats the ninjas after the dust settles kids like why do you have a katana that you can't use and shishimaru is like stoic doesn't say much you know but uh, he's like he's kosuke tells him that i gotta bring this flute to koji kashin and shishimaru's like hmm it's gonna be kind of difficult kid uh because uh koji's dead he was my my teacher and he just died and the kid's like, oh, well, I guess I'm going home. So he goes, hits the road and goes back home, right? So he, his quest is no more. What's he going to do? Hang around? He's like, I'll go home. So he starts to walk home. And on the way, 
Kosuki is attacked by a Komuso monk. You've seen the, the monks with the baskets on their heads, with the the, the eye uh, slits cut in them. Uh, mm-hmm. But this, in reality, it's not a monk at all. It's a magin, a demon, uh, named Orochi, Emissary of Hell. When your name's Orochi, Emissary of Hell, you're not a good guy, right? So he takes the, the monk basket off. He's got snakes coming out of his face, and he's horribly disfigured. He looks like a potato man. He, he's all lumpy and puffy, and uh, he's uh, in service to someone called Gosun, the Fiend Lord. Not a nice guy again. Uh, and what Gosun wants to do is he wants to sow chaos and unrest through Japan. And his uh, minion, Orochi, is tasked with killing everyone who knew Koji Kashin because he was an illusionist. He was a spiritual teacher, a, a guiding force for good. And uh, the Fiend Lord doesn't want anybody left who knew this guy. Who knows this guy? Both Shishimaru and Kosuke by proxy. So they're both targets. And um, they start to fight. And Shishimaru unleashes his mastery of the lion transformation ninpo. Uh, he turns into body of a human, head of a white lion. That's Lion Maru. Henshin! And he does his... When he transforms, the chain magically comes off the katana. And in true uh, finishing moves, he cuts Orochi in half. He bisects him from stem to stern. And he's dead. So the two, they're like, "Uh uh-oh. Your father gave you this flute to bring to um, Koji. And so if it was Orochi's goal to eliminate everybody that knew the man we better get to your father because like he's in trouble we're you know we got to get there so uh, since it's uh, a long long time ago and the distance is great the chances of them getting there in time are very slim so shishimaru says hey kid why don't you try playing the flute kid's like oh okay so he plays the flute little jazz and what happens he summons a pegasus yep the Pegasus is the spiritual form of Koji Kashin. And uh horse appears, and they both get on it, and they're racing to get to uh, Kyubei. Uh, will they be in time? Well, I guess you're just going to have to read the comic to find out. Uh, I, like I said, I loved it, um, but it's speaking my language. So if, you, if the, the, the summary interest you at all i would take a a a look-see at this book because um the art is fine it's good uh there are some pages and panels that are a little on the wonky side or there may be a digital background dropped in behind the characters that kind of infuriates me but uh by and large i thought it was a worthwhile it doesn't sound like a glowing review but i loved it um it's a worthwhile purchase but if this is your stuff then you gotta buy it because it's it's even better because you've just bought a lion maru comic in 2022 right do you see where i'm coming from 
it's 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 very difficult yeah, for me. It's, well, it's no it's no different than like when you vibe with the, like the magic comic, or I'm talking about a GI Joe comic. Or yeah, that's yeah. talking about the James Bond comic. Like these are not comics that are like generally, you know, like right. It's not going to eleven o'clock or worthy. Or exactly, like, uh, Eisner but, worthy. But they they hit your sweet spot. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, every time. Um, I, I I experience this stuff, the the henshin factor of a lot of Japanese characters. The henshin means transform, where they go from one state, uh, a human, and they do either mystical or through through like Ultraman through some kind of science where they transform into something extra human. That's a trope that exists in a lot of Japanese uh creative um fiction and i've i've always tried to understand it i guess american superheroes are the same where uh you know they were human at one time but through whatever now they become something above human and i guess that's attractive to people it's it's somewhat attractive to me i mean you, the 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 possibility of actually understanding the transformation from human to something else is is no i don't think anybody can understand it that hasn't experienced it and nobody really has but that's a, a a trope that exists in tons of japanese literature and comics and and uh television series and movies just that the whole transformational aspect of it and i i just find that fascinating i do uh i can't explain it but the desire to be something other than human is very prevalent in their their science fiction and fantasy uh, books. There's nothing I don't have anything else to say about it. It's just a, something I, I've I've noticed over the years, and yet I don't like. I think culturally, with research, it could maybe be explained, but mm-hmm. I don't know. You are right. It is definitely more of a fixture, right? Because even if you think about like even with us, like obviously Transformers, or because in Japan there were these transforming toys that that uh, they decided to bring over the U.S. and, you know, sell here and then craft a narrative around it, so. Right, but, I mean, look at... Uh, and the uh, Sentai, all the Sentai with their, you know, and... Right, can you can you name a Japanese... Well, I'm sure you can, but uh, just go down the laundry list, like Kamen Rider, Ultraman, um, yeah. even, even like, Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. They, 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 they hulk out into the Super Saiyan. Like, they become something more yeah. than human. It's, it's so omnipresent. I mean, there's Robotech and May Cross, but even those the vehicles transform or they're humanoid. And, right. Yeah. I think Gundam is, is, is a little different. Where yeah. that's, that's like Iron Man. That's augmented sure. human beings. But uh, like, there's just a ton of... of uh, yeah. yeah. It's fascinating to me. We should teach a class on it. Well, I'd have to do research and, and trace this stuff back. Oh, speaking of research, I definitely did not do my research last episode when I attributed uh, Q Hayashida uh, gender as a, as male. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and thankfully, yeah. Jay Tomio set me straight. He's like, "Yeah, bro, it's a woman." So um, I will not make the mistake again. I should have done my due diligence going in. I didn't because I'm so captivated by the art. And I, I mean, you look at the art and you're like, this has got to be a male because it's just uh, so freaking disturbing. But hey, I'm wrong and I'm glad to be wrong. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Lion Maru. And they don't hyphenate it. 
which is weird because it's it should be hyphenated. It's one word on on the cover. It's weird, but anyway, uh, it's a good it's a good book. Get it. Convince me. Ah. Uh, I I <laughs> yeah. I don't think you'd find the joy in it that I do. I'm I'm I would like you to, but I don't. I don't. You'd be like, yeah, it was okay, and and I think you would be kind mm. in saying that. Mm-hmm. But that's cool. <sighs> I just wish we we can get Matt Frank on a monthly book. Um, I know he's doing Red Man, but I want that's a five issue series. I want a long term Matt Frank ongoing. Just let him un, unleash the dude. Do his do. There you go. There it is. Uh, I uh, I hopped in the uh, the Wayback Machine over the weekend. Um, Titan has been um, collecting the old series um, by Max Allen Collins and Terry Beatty mystery and. The first volume, One Mean Mother, they did not start at the beginning, uh, purposely. And and according to the introduction or, or the foreword by, uh, by Mr. Collins, uh, the reason why they went with the DC series for the first volume is because it's basically their best foot forward they were more polished it was established property um you can kind of hit the ground running as as you go along and especially in the first story you know who all the players are and 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 tree investigations has been established and and that's fine that that's cool i read most of the first story and i put the book down and then the second book came out and it finished the dc series um they weren't all in order. It wasn't like the first five issues in the first volume. It was like one, three, four, five. They they, they kind of jumped around. But the first two books from Titan collect the DC stories and a um and 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 a one one renegade story in, in, in the second book. The third volume, The Cold Dish, that's where we start at the beginning from the Eclipse magazine in black and white and continuing with um with the ongoing series that started uh, titled um, Mysteries, Thrilling Detective Adventures. And then I think with the fourth issue, it became just strictly mystery. Um, so the it looks like Titan's going to be collecting the rest of the Renegade and Caliber and Error Eclipse stuff from this point forward from, from the third volume on. So I started with the third volume finally, because aside from a couple of appearances here and there or an odd ad in Amazing Heroes. I never really sat down and read many, if any, um, mystery stories. And um, what was neat about going all the way back, uh, because this is these are stories from like 1981 and, and 1982. The very first story is, is from 1981. Um, the girl in the red wedding dress. The... Um, Terry's art has what, what, what it was really neat is, you know, seeing the third issue. And I, I became very familiar with, with Terry's work um, with the wild dog miniseries from DC 
and um and i'd see him you know, popping up here and there like on batman adventures things like that is his style is um his terry style isn't it's very reminiscent of a syndicated strip he's he's got that type of style for his art it's not as action-packed as um eric larson or Raz or or or, or somni for example it, it, it's similar to like steve lieber mitch jared's where it's kind of just it you're not you're not jumping around the page and and, and seeing the action it's, it's it's mostly talking heads it's it's, it's getting from point a to point b um and these are detective stories they're they're like Mike Hammer or something written by by Dashiell Hammett, they're just so they're, so you're not going to get the bombastic scenes you would get in 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 a traditional um, superhero comic, but um, but you can definitely see Terry style change over the years, from the '80s to to, to the '90s and, and and early aughts, because when you start when you get to the first book that titan puts out um it's kind of the terry baby that that that, that i'm familiar with and, and this early stuff it's very very early he's still there but it's still um not as polished uh it, 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 it's kind of just very methodical and and trying to be precise and and it, it's not it, it it's stiff in parts but that's that's fine for this story it's not it, it the stories he's telling it's not not detracting at all um this is i should have realized it i i, I completely blanked on tree's first name and it it really should have um registered with me when when I was watching Star Trek Discovery, because Mystery's first name is Michael, and what's neat is that uh, so Michael Tree, the woman, um, she falls in love with Mike Tree, who is a private eye, um, and you see the conversations between you know whether or not she's going to change her name and she's like well you know we can call you mike because she's not changing her name from michael and and it's great nobody has to change the letterhead on on the company things like that but what's neat um not so much neat but the beginning of this the way it all i i didn't know basically the origin of of the character or how um how she came to be or or you know take over the agency um Mike Tree, her husband, is killed on the night of their honeymoon, and uh, the first volume, or not the first volume, but this the the third volume, this this particular collection, um, deals with her getting revenge and and uh, finding the people responsible for Mike's murder. Uh, what's what I like about Collins and and Beatty working together if you watch like if you're watching knives out or you're watching the thin man like you you, you see all who all the players are and you know one of these people have to be the murderer the, the, somebody here is actually guilty of of the crime that was committed and you're going along with the detectives to figure out you know who it actually is based on the clues you're given and you don't know really who it is you may not know who it is until the very end until it's revealed until the detective announces who uh 
who the killer is. That's not so much the case when I was reading this collection because you kind of know based on the way the story's going, based on Michael's interaction with with other characters in the book or the way uh, Terry draws somebody or, 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 or a scene, um, you may actually know who the guilty party is, but the fun I'm finding out is seeing reasons why they did what they did or how Michael has to figure out um, or, or, or make them actually uh, confess. And, and it's, it just, it kind of just, changes things up a little bit instead of you following along trying to guess which one actually did it you may know who did it now you just have to figure you you're you're along for the ride to see how michael gets everybody to uh in their proper place the characters are great um she uh just reading this collection um she really takes no shit she she um she's she's kind of like a female, um, like Spillane or, or, or James Bond in the, in the sense that, you know, but she'll basically bet almost any dude who, um, kind of catches her eye. It, it's, yeah, I mean, that night at Mike's dead and, and, you know, she's a widow. Um, she's, she has, you know, she, she's not a prudent any, in, in any way. Um, she, uh, and, and, and she will use her, her body, she will use her her feminine wiles to take advantage of a situation, especially if if uh, if some guy thinks he's got the drop on her, or uh, or or you know, she'll start stripping in front of some dude just so that you know to to get him off guard, so she can you know spray him in the face with mace and and uh, take advantage of, of of the situation. But it's like, uh, hey, where'd you have that bottle of mace? Yes. Where did you yes. hide that? <laughs> yeah, there was one. It kind of looked like a pen, but it was it was in the back of of, of her bra strap. So she it looked like she was getting ready to take off her bra, but she actually turned around and she sprayed the guy in the face. It was great. Um, the uh, there was in, in in the introduction for for this one, which kind of talks about the uh, the early years. Um, they there there was the thought that she would kind of look like Betty Page. Um, Max and Terry uh, felt that that was too pandering. Uh, Dave Stevens, their friend, didn't didn't agree. Um, but uh, so they just they they they, they tweaked the look a little bit. Um, still has the bangs, still has the raven hair, um, but doesn't really have the uh, the Betty Page look, which is which is fine. And there are it, it what's what's great is in those, and I don't know if this is maybe. Janet Mullaney in, in, in this cameo or maybe it's Max and, and Terry but um, it's just odd the way they're they appear in the elevator with, with Michael but Michael's drawn you know she, she, Terry has really kind of you know embellished her face and, and is making her attractive but then you know you she's sharing, she's, sharing, she's sharing a panel with her future husband and, and he's drawn to look like um like he said, at Dick Tracy, he's got like you know the squinty eyes and 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 the busted nose and 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 the rock jaw, the, the, the chiseled chin, and it's just it's it's almost night and day. It's like here's somebody who's extremely attractive next to some dude who looks like you know thirty miles of bad road, but it just it 
it absolutely works. I really do like Terry Styles, especially with this. Um, and and uh, it, again, she she ends up she loses her husband. Uh, turns out that her husband was he wasn't necessarily involved. He wasn't a dirty cop because he was he, he was a cop before he left the force to become a PI. Um, but he left the force because other cops in his department uh, were dirty. And instead of uh, kind of um, betraying a friend who may have saved his life at one time, he was just like, he's done. And he, and he leaves the force. Uh, but trouble followed him. He ends up getting killed. Uh, she's out for revenge, trying to figure out where all the pieces fall into play. Other people in 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 his life that she became friends with through him. Now she's trying to figure out, you know, she's trusting everybody because, you know, you were my husband's friend. Why wouldn't I trust you? But, you know, if he was one of the cops on the floor, it's just, it's great the way it all kind of plays out. Um, Mike tree was married previously and he has a son, Mike jr. Um, and tree, his first wife, she, um, she shows up one night when, um, when Michael's visiting the grave site, this blonde woman comes up, leaves flowers, and leaves. Um, and after doing some digging, it turned out Michael finds out that it was Mike's first wife. She goes and actually confronts her to find out, you know, why were you at? Um, she didn't know who she was at first. She just knew that, you know, here's the blonde, and she goes to one of Mike's old partners on the force and um, chick. Steel, uh, Charles Chick Steel, Chick ends up, you know, saying, I think I know who that is. And he gives it the address. And, and it's like, yeah, no, that was my husband. And uh, this is his son. And they kind of become friends, sort of. Uh, but they, their relationship is is the man that they loved and lost. And um, and Anne is now at this, at, at some point, Anne is concerned for her life. And she asks Michael to... I want you to be my son's guardian if anything were to happen to me. And Anne's grand, Anne's parents, Mike's Junior's grandparents, get involved, and there's a there's a big thing there. And Michael prevails, but just just seeing from the beginning, just, just seeing how Michael is kind of thrown into this whole thing, and 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 how it evolves from what it began as, and 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 all the other characters in the series, uh, in her life. Um, I, I, I can't wait for, um, for the next book, just to sit, just, just to continue reading these early stories, but it's, it's blast. I, I think, um, I, I know, I think it went on for like 50 or so issues, which is the, at least at the time it was the longest running, may still be the longest running detective comics book. Um, that was published. And, and yeah, and then, and then DC picked it up and they had, uh, they had like a, not quite a quarterly series. It may, it may have been bi-monthly, but, um, that lasted for about 10 issues or so. Um, but it's just been a blast and, and, and the coloring is very, I just, I really, really do like these early stories. And unfortunately, apparently, um, he mentions that, uh, the, the letters pages were not going to be included in these collections because, um, there were definitely some politically incorrect things said or written, um, which is understandable. But uh, again, it's 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 the early '80s. Um, 
there are everybody's calling this woman a bitch and, and i don't like this i don't sit here and listen to what this bitch has to say about and and it's like and you know she doesn't they're she puts it back on him. She, she definitely gets back in their face, but there, there are moments in the book where you do get the, the macho sexist guys. Uh, but again, because of the era and, um, and, and as, as the series continues, they're just going to, they're, they're going to talk about, or they're going to cover, um, some pretty heavy topics like, uh, like abortion, for example, things like that. So, it's not a. Um, it's it's definitely not uh, for everyone, um, and you really can't get too attached to too many characters uh, because almost everybody's going to die, and, and anybody that 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 she comes across and in, in to get to the bottom of something if she's investigating something and she comes across any witnesses or she has to question anybody who may know so who this person is or what their relationship is to this person to the deceased or or to the killer that person's probably not going to make it out of the story a lot um one of uh one of her investigators dan he ends up getting getting caught in an explosion um loses uh loses an eye which he um we see in in and, and dc stuff it wasn't like a reboot or anything they were just continuing what uh what they were doing in the earlier series under the independent runs um but i had i i just it, it, it was another one where i just you know i started it and and before i knew it um it was over and and you know Max Allen Collins has, has written the Dick Tracy strip. He he has a lot of fun with um, with mystery stories and, and and things of the like. And of course he he wrote the wrote the Perdition, which the the, the movie was based on the the story. The it wasn't was it Paradox? It, DC published wrote the Perdition, the comic book, and that was eventually adapted, uh, starring Tom Hanks, Jude Law, and and, and it was. Um, I just I really do like Max Allen Collins. He wrote some fun Batman stories. Um, Terry's art, I, I I really do appreciate seeing the growth from from you know 1980 to whenever the hell these uh, these DCs these DC issues were out. But um, I I really did I, I better late than never. I just it 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 took me a long time to finally. Because I never really found any mystery issues in the back issue bins at any of the conventions we go to. Um, so once I knew that, that that Titan was publishing the stories, I kind of a no-brainer. So um, I'm glad I could finally sit down and read them and see what the hell everybody was talking about way back when in uh, in Amazing Heroes. But yeah, I, I, I had an absolute blast. I don't know if I'm going to wait for the fourth and keep reading them in... in chronological order or if now that i've read at least this first book then i'll go back to the uh, or the the third book collecting the first stories if i'll go back and read um the dc stuff just to finish just to get the dc stuff out of the way but i i, I don't know i kind of want to read it in order only because i want to see how we get to the to the dc stuff but i don't did you ever read the old stuff Vince? yeah yeah i did i didn't ride out the entire 50 issues 
But I mean, I, I think I bought it up until the thirties, and I, I I adore the book, and I think I was very enthusiastic when I heard that Titan was going to be reprinting it, um, and then I got the first volume, and I thought it was an incredibly short-sighted uh, decision to start with the DC stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad, and in that sense, I'm glad that the DC stuff is only 10 issues because at least we were able to get through that quickly to get to the old stuff. But I agree with you. I, I, I get it. I, I understand why they would decide to do that. This is, the, this is the stuff that we think looks the best and reads the best, so we want to give you the best to start with. But there are people out there like me who just... I want to see where we started. And yeah, all. it's it's like jumping into like the fifth movie in a chain. I'm not going to. No, no. I right. want to start at the beginning. Yep. Oh, by the way, we have a Titanorama this episode. Nice. Yep. Nice. Now, before you, do, do, do they explain in any of the back matter why they did it that way? Why they started with the DC stuff? Yeah. Yeah, because um, he says in the introduction, um, we wound up throughout. Okay. Um, when it came time to begin collecting the complete mystery with Titan, uh, we wanted to start with the DC stuff. In addition to putting our best foot forward, or anyway, some of our best feats, I preferred not to lead off with the earliest stories, which had been collected already, albeit 35 years ago, okay. in okay. two of the files of mystery trade paperbacks. Albeit so, at the time when most of the readers haven't even been born yet. Been, yeah, yeah yes. it's like, whatever. So, but it's mentioned that he says put your best foot forward, implying that he thinks that's the best stuff, which is... Yeah, it is, it's, it's they're, they've... They've, you know, they've been doing it for for over a decade at this point, and mm. it, it Terry's work is you know, night and day. Um, huge difference between those early stories. Uh, the 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 coloring is is sharper, um, and I think maybe um, some of the stories were also, if you're keen on that a little bit more politically correct because it is it it, it is the 90s we're not as um you may not have as much of the the sexism the uh the the all the baggage that you know you may have gotten a decade earlier in the 80s the way some people think so he may just wanted to figure this reads this looks better this is a little bit more um, consumable for mass appeal. Uh, the early stuff might yeah. might seem a little raw or, or rough, but that's that's what I want to read. Yeah, me too. I think the earlier stuff is better. I also think that whitewashing the past is not a Serves good no idea. Purpose. It's not yeah. a good idea, and it's very very dangerous because. Yeah. Um, play it where it lays especially the the letter columns if there was politically incorrect things said in the letter or or written in the letters columns they should reprint them context is key if not i mean for nothing else as an example of a wrong-headed approach this is the way it was look how far we've come in terms in terms of accepting and, and understanding does this make you feel some kind of way? Well, congratulate yourself in that you are semi-enlightened in this this new uh, age, let's say. I, I don't like pretending things didn't happen or or altering things that, that were done in order to fit into a uh, in line with modern sensibilities. It's just dangerous. It's not right. Yeah, no. Do, um, 
are the uh, are Sims letter columns in the phone books? <laughs> no, <Damn. laughs> no, but they are published separately. Okay. No, yes, the, that was what. Yeah, they were a little on edge too, but that was half of the joy of a new issue of Cerebus sure. was yeah. uh, wading into the insanity that was the letters pages whole, and it wasn't. It was like Savage Dragon letters pages, where yeah. it was like three, four, sometimes more pages. In the smallest font possible. Yeah, it was great. Oh, man, I love those letters pages. Yeah. Jason, my man. Yes, Vince. Tell me something good. <laughs> You're a trip. I am. Well, I know I don't need to sell you on Mr. J.H. Williams. Hell no. So... We had him on, what, God, three years ago now? Four years ago? Get, get out of town. It's been that long? Well, remember, the pandemic is two years, so like it's, it's pretty easy. If it's pre-pandemic, it's at least two years. Oh, yeah. Right. Anyway, we had him on. Um, it was great to have him on. Uh, and, and he was the timing was in relation to the terrific anthology he and his wife. We had his wife on as well uh, to, to discuss the anthology they did for the victims of the Las Vegas shooting because they live in Las Vegas. Um, and, and during that time, he discussed other things he's working on and, of course, brought up Echo Lands, which, um, as even he has joked, has been had been teased, solicited, marketed multiple times over the last bunch of years without it ever coming to fruition. But he swore to us at that time that it was largely done and was really going to happen. And uh, we were excited. And um, fast forward to now, uh, it, it, it has actually happened. <laughs> um, I know we discussed the series when it first launched. Um, I know I went deep on the first issue. If I, if I recall correctly, Dap, you read the first issue at least, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and for, you know, for whatever reason, it frankly happens more than, it, than I wish it did, but we moved on to other things. We didn't really bring it up again. Um, now, uh, I can't speak for Dapper or Vince, but for me, it was one of those things where, um, you know, the, the book is definitely um, one of those books where you could pretty quickly determine, at least from that first issue, that it was going to be a pretty complex story. And, and I just said, okay, let, let me let this finish, or let me let this build up, and, and I'll read it in a big chunk, because I don't know that this is designed to be 22, 30 pages of sequential each month. Um, but we have now, um, we were delayed in the collection because, again, pandemic. But uh, but, but things are normalizing, and um, we finally received, um, which I think I pre-ordered at least over a year ago, we finally received the first volume hardcover of Echolands, um, which uh, for... The first thing that, that we should note is that the, the book is uh, landscape, as is the, collect- the collection. So it's uh, it's definitely always fun to see a landscape book because, uh, you know, we're so used to it, it being the other way. Um, but, um, and this is also, I should mention, it's J.H. is the, the co-creator and, and draws the whole thing. It's uh, co-written with by W. Hayden Blackman, who... He has worked with uh, quite a bit, including uh, their their run on on um, Detective and then and then Batwoman. Um, so it's interesting because this book is like the perfect vessel for 
JH, right? And if and if you guys remember when he was on the show, like this is his dream project. This is the thing that he's always wanted to do uh, and had to always keep shelving because he had to pay the bills. So this book, at least before it came out, he said it meant more to him than Promethea or the the Batwoman stuff or, or anything that he's done. This this was the thing that he, you know, Sam and Overture, right? I think that had just, that collection had just come out before, uh, shortly before we had him on. Um, so, you know, I mean, for a guy that's been this accomplished in the industry and has put so many stunning visuals out there to say that this is his, his, the work he's most passionate about. I mean, that alone tells you that the guy's going to be putting in the work. Um, so this is really the story of it, like the narrative is fairly simple and, and doesn't tread any new ground. Um, I don't have a problem with that because if I'm buying this book, I'm expecting the book to be essentially a descent into one of the greatest illustrators in the biz just going crazy on something he cares about. And that's exactly what we get. Um, the story's pretty simple. There is a young blonde woman named Hope Red Hood. She is part of a band of misfits that um, that uh, basically are thieves, you know, to, 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 to survive. They're, they're, they're poor. They live in an autocratic um, uh, city-state, and they need to do what they need to do to live. And uh, so they're, they're petty thieves. Well, uh, the book starts where Hope uh, stole something of considerable value but unfortunately, this is probably something she shouldn't have taken because uh, it, uh, it is something that is very near and dear to, the, uh, to the, basically the ruler of this, of this land, uh, the wizard. He's, he's, you know, he, he's a, a, a despot, a, a magic wielder, and, uh, and we learn more about him as the story goes on. But, but, but basically, she took something from him, and he desperately wants it back. And and the the entire vo- for, for first volume is essentially her and her crew um, going on the run from his um, daughter, who is uh, the, the wizard's daughter, is is essentially his his Darth Vader. You know, she's um, she's mystical. She's not. Uh, she's kind of a. Uh, I mean, they don't fully explain it, but it looks like she's sort of a, a, a sentient plant. She's like like she's wearing a, a mask and, and a cloak, but. But you do see her when you see her body. It's it's a bunch of different colored plant life vines and everything. Kind of, uh, you know, she looks like um, like uh, what's the swamp things? Uh, villain uh, Vince, the um, the 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 something man, uh, Floronic man. Yeah, the Floronic man. She looks like a female version of the Floronic man, essentially. Um, and and so she's like I said, she's the Darth Vader because she's the one out there actually trying to capture them. Um, while while the her her father is is uh, is up in his 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 castle, kind of for the most part, he he does eventually get involved, um, and, and and so it's a chance for JH to go crazy because the world that they're inhabiting, uh, the Echo Lands, is this fantasy realm, but it's a fantasy realm where essentially uh, not dissimilar to like fables, where where any anything goes, like any idea. That has made its way into a fictional narrative over over uh, time is here in sentient form. So, like when she's 
running away from the place she stole it from and she's going about the city square, you see uh, giant kaiju and you see sentient robots and you see cartoon characters drawn in two-dimensional flat and you see uh, 30-style Chicago gangsters and you see universal monsters and they all they all live in this world, this Echo Lands, together uh, in chaos and uh, in harmony. It's a, it's, a, it's a crowded city-state, so of course the bazaars are just packed with people and there's all kinds of noise and all kinds of distraction. Uh, and then as they as they go on this journey trying to both escape from uh, her, their potential captors who want this item back, uh, they're also trying to, as they make the journey, they're trying to figure out what the item is. is. Is it significant? They realize that there's more to the story, of course. There's reasons to think that uh, that, that maybe they're having this item isn't just coincidence or, or randomness. Maybe there's a point to it. So it kind of opens the door to a grander adventure, a sense of purpose. Uh, and it's uh, it's just action-packed. And, and he just, they go from spot to spot, and it's his chance to draw just the craziest shit ever. There's a there's a, a an island where fantasy island it's called where uh, the the um, the the ruler of that like the fiefdom um, is is basically a, a a Kirby character you know a new god essentially um, drawn that way like drawn in the classic Kirby form with the flat the flat colors and the and the grand costume um, and and her hope and and this person have history and there's another part that's an underwater realm and it's all full of magic wielders and you get the point like there's each it's basically jh's chance to draw all the things he thinks are cool as hell and put them all together into this fast-paced fantasy epic adventure um and i just i i can't i mean we've said this every time we've ever talked about jh williams um the third but i cannot fathom not only how much detail he puts in his work but his ability to literally do any style that he feels like doing, like it's ridiculous. And yeah. we see, and and I just, I mean, we always marvel about it. I I I don't know anyone else in the business that, at least, that works uh, on a regular basis that can do it in the way he does it with such absolute perfection of line and form and and. And panel layout. I mean, the guy is just. I know we overuse things like master and 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 greatness and all that, but but I do think it. it, it he's deserving of it. I I I think that when I look at his stuff, I get so excited because he's one of those creators where you can only do what he's doing in comics. You can he. There's no other medium that he could do this in. He couldn't render this digitally on a on a screen without. He'd need a a team of animators. You, you know, you couldn't make a movie with this stuff and have it all go together. You, you certainly couldn't do it a TV show. It, 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 he embodies what makes comics special and why it's the medium that we obsess over. And I just, um, look, again, as I think we probably said after the first issue or two, like, this is not, this isn't a, a Hickman or a Remender or a Lemire grand story where, there's layers and layers, and you're just you're having these aha moments. It's fairly like I think you see the big aha plot moments coming, right? Like I think it's it's fairly predictable in the idea of like you know uh, uh, like it's a pretty classic story of 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 unwanting hero forced into doing good for the world when they're really we're just trying to get by, right? That is not a new concept, and not that really there are any new concepts in storytelling, but but so so you, you can jump in, and, and this idea 
could be done. This kind of story could be told by a hundred other people, and it'd be pretty boring stuff. You'd be like, eh, whatever. Like, okay, I know where it's going. Cool, whatever. It's 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 just think of that as the skeletal structure, the spinal cord that allows JH to just go absolutely batshit insane for hundreds of pages. That's really what this is about. This is about him showing off his his favorite things in the world. Like, there's an island, Vince, where uh, it's just um, it's just machines, and these machines have never, uh, well, not the, the current machines on the, on the island that are, they're living have never interacted with organic life by design, because in this world of fictional narrative, these 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 AI sentient machines have always, at some point in their life cycle, turned on mankind, and so hundreds of, if not thousands of years ago. They were given this little realm to live in where they live, peacefully coexist with one another, and they've been on it so long that they no longer – they can't – the idea being, well, we can't turn on mankind if we don't ever interact with mankind. But in the story, our our posse end up – a few of them end up going there. It's the first time living beings have ever been – organic living beings ever been on this place – and uh, and the robots are like deciding what they should do. Should they just kill them? Should they help them? And um, and uh, you know it 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 was so neat to see JH like draw all these different robotic entities. Right? You got like your Iron Giant. You got your your Raiden. You got your you know you got your Transformers. Like all of them living there, just like a wooden city state all together. And uh, and and although. It's not exactly Ray Dean. Essentially, like, Ray Dean joins their team towards the end of the first nice. Nice. Yeah. So it's just, you know, it's just a grand adventure. You know, it's like what, it's like going to a summer movie where you get the plot, it's pretty straightforward, and you're just there for the visuals. And you're blown, and you're blown away because it's just wildly entertaining. It's nonstop. It's, it's breakneck pace. There's never a dull moment. And uh, it was awesome. Now, I didn't realize um, before I read this hardcover collection that it is, uh, it is going to, it's a, we're continuing on from here, so it doesn't it doesn't have a it, it leaves us on a fairly massive series of cliffhangers. Um, this first volume, so I do hope that uh, I haven't been paying attention. I do hope that he is still churning this stuff out, and we don't have to wait, you know, years for the next volume. That would be a bummer. But I think he's he's got like I think we're getting the second volume very very shortly, at least theoretically. So I, I hope I'm not uh, leading anyone astray here by telling you that uh, to jump in here and then you want to see the second volume and you have to wait. But uh, but either way, this this was this was triumphant, man. And um, I mean, look, JH could basically do like he could draw a book about like uh, going to the grocery store and be pretty dope. But true. But uh, but this is just this is great, you know. And it's yeah. great because he just gets to have fun. And he modeled the main character after my girl. Yeah. Debbie Who's Harry. Your girl? Debbie Harry. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, but. Uh, I we were trained uh, at very young ages by Mad Magazine to accept the blending of various visual styles in one panel. Like Mad Mad would that was one of their trademarks, where you'd have uh, Dick Tracy walk on in Chester Gould uh, pastiche line work, and then you know Charlie Brown would be there, and the, all the different visual styles all thrown in the melting pot. Uh, Mad Magazine was one of the progenitors of that, and because of that, over the 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 decades, I always saw that kind of approach as a shtick, right? Because 
that's how I learned from Matt that it was a shtick. It was a it was a nudge nudge, you know, a, a, a hook. But it doesn't feel like a shtick when J H Williams H <laughs> when J H Williams does it. it. Doesn't feel like a shtick to me. It feels natural. Like um, I always go back to that big ass illustration of all the different Sandmen in in Overture rendered in different styles. And it just, it works when he does it. That's why I'm glad that he's continuing that approach in Echo Lands, which is coming in my next box whenever I get it. Nice. Yeah, and I, I should say, too, I mean, it, it's, he does also some some fun and creative things to break up the story. Like, there is, there is a, I can't think of his name right now, I, don't, I didn't write it down, but there is a, a journalist who's working for, uh, one of the media outlets in in the Echo Lands, and uh, for some reason that we haven't yet figured out, the wizard is uh, has finally granted him uh, a, a chance to interview him, uh, do a long form interview. And so, with each issue, one of the breaks in the in the in the issues in, in the collection is is the text of these interviews uh, with the wizard, and you get the sense of you know what a megalomaniac he is, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then there's also breaks where there are uh, advertisements pertinent to Echolands, and there's a little comic strip as well. And the comic strip seemingly is like totally silly and has almost nothing that I can tell to do with everything else. So, I mean, J.H. is kind of doing a lot of different things that, that he wants all at the same time in this, you know, and, and I'll leave it up to anyone, individual reader, see if it all co- co- is cohesive, but I don't honestly really care because like all that stuff is just cherries on top of uh, the main story, which is yeah. just you know, an extravaganza. Well, it's pretty obvious that the creative team behind Into the Spider-Verse were paying attention to J.H. Williams' stuff because it's the same approach. Sure, yeah. Where you have different dimen- different characters from different dimensions being rendered in their unique style and they're all on the screen at the same time. And it's like, okay. I mean, it, it, it works, and but uh, yeah, the, he. I think he has the thumbprint on that modern approach of that yeah for sure okay that's i can't wait to get it and i yeah. love landscape format books they're hard to store oh, but they're worth it yeah you know it's it's as i was reading it, i was thinking man the, um they f- it felt brittle you know like one wrong oh. like one wrong turn you feel like you're gonna break the spine kind of thing hmm yeah but they're also releasing a hardcover of the black and white version right? <laughs> yeah it's nuts Yes, they are. It's because yeah. they released black and white versions of the singles too. Yes. A month, yeah, a month yeah. after. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, that's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I think. In, I mean, generally, as, as an art collector, I love the black and white to see the line work. But I think with JH, I mean, the the the, the colors are so important because he, like we just said, he he does such great work with the finishing, with the finishes, right? Like messing with matte and glossy and realistic and flat like like he does all that that's such a part of the of the of the right overall package that i i think i prefer the color well i'm guessing that dave stewart just doesn't work with you know transparent layers i'm thinking there's some some stewart embellishing going on but uh oh for sure yeah i shouldn't discredit dave stewart he has the colors in the book it's not all jh but yeah yeah all right well uh finishing off the titanorama that david started i have a titan book as well yes uh, you both are well aware of my uh, obsession, let's call it what it is, with Elden Ring. 
three hundred and some odd hours later, and I'm still not finished with the game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, prior to purchasing Elden Ring, I had another title from uh, from Software, which is the maker of the uh, the Souls type games, which was Bloodborne, and I started to play it, and I became increasingly frustrated because it was freaking hard and i abandoned it, uh, abandoned the game but i love the aesthetic of bloodborne i think the visuals were impeccable just that gothic uh approach uh, and all of the the monsters were so beautifully realized and the hunters were were, were really nice uh and it's just a, a a cloying darkness to the game like it's very dark uh, so when Titan started publishing the Bloodborne comics, I considered them, and then I saw who was going to be illustrating them, and I said, sign me the hell up, because the artist on the Bloodborne comics is Peter Kowalski. And I, I just, man, I cannot get enough of his work. Uh, this is called Bloodborne, Lady of the Lanterns, number one, which was illustrated by Kowalski color by brad simpson and it was written huge surprise this guy doesn't do enough work was written by colin bunn hmm. and of course i'm being facetious because it seems like colin's writing a hundred books and this is the second episode in a row that i've mentioned colin bunn so yeah yeah checks payable to vince b yeah. uh it, it, if you don't know the setup of bloodborne it doesn't really matter because this is uh, uh, the start of a neat little uh, four-issue horror tale. and uh, But to get everybody up to speed, there's a plague called the Ashen Blood. And uh, what this plague does is it corrupts and transforms and it, it turns uh, humans into disfigured, uh, horrifying creatures, blood-crazed monsters. And uh, the, the city's called Yarnum. Uh, in order to at least exist in this world, you need people to 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 cull the monster supply. Because once you you're you're uh, if, uh, afflicted with the ashen blood, there's no turning back. As far as I know, maybe it's in the game. I don't know. Uh, so they have hunters prowling the landscape, uh, culling the monsters. And that's essentially the main character. That's who you play in the Bloodborne game. You play a hunter. Uh, and in this book. Uh, the plague is is ravaging Yarnum, uh, and uh, traipsing through the streets is not a wise decision because chances are very good you're you're not going to return to your home. And uh, as the story opens, it, there's two children alone. Uh, Lucian, uh, a boy, and Vivian, his sister, they're waiting for their father to return home. See, food is scarce. And and dad went out trying to provide for his kids. And it's been some time since since dad came home. And uh, the boy is, is pragmatic and wants to get things done and, and, and proceed with his existence. But the girl must be daddy's girl because she waits for her father at the window. And the slightest movement, oh, dad's home. More often than not, it wasn't her father. But in this instance, she sees something outside, and there's a there's a, a rattle at the door, and they open the door, and it's not their father. It's it's a hunter named Barnabas, 
and he's he's not in a good way. He's bleeding, and he's like, close the door! But And this thing, this wolf-like giant creature comes barreling in, uh, and uh, Barnabas takes care of it, but he's wounded. And so the children, uh, uh, Lucian bars the door, and the children tend to uh, Barnabas's wounds. Guys like bleeding out, and and they use their knowledge of herbs, which they learned, um, to to patch him up. And he tells them uh, the tale of of uh, the reason why he got in such a bad way. He had an encounter with uh, something called the Lady of the Lanterns, which is uh, an evil force which sings a special song. Uh, one tailored to the desires of her victims. Uh, your ears ears will hear uh, that for which you've been longing. In Barnabas's case, uh, when he heard the song, it sounded like his dead wife. So he followed, he knew the woman was obviously passed on, but he was compelled to, to follow the song and ran into the Lady of the Lanterns, and it did it, it, it things went south, but man, he managed to survive. And and as these three characters are uh, existing together in this in this uh, surrogate family type th- setup, um, Vivian still waits for her father by the window, and she hears a song. Extrapolate. <laughs> The she, the next scene is uh, Vivian feeding uh, the two uh, males, and there's a giant bowl of potatoes in the in the on the table, and they're like, "Where the hell did you find this stuff?" And she turns her head, and she's obviously been taken over by the Lady of the Lanterns, and and it, it's it's continued because uh, Barnabas has to end the child's life because there's no coming back. He he kills her. And uh, Vivian's brother, I mean, he's young. He, Barnabas is like, I had to kill her. This is, this is the point of no return. There, 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 there is no surviving this stuff. And Lucian's like, well, maybe so, but I still don't want to be around you. And Lucian does what is not wise. He takes to the streets. And that's where this, this first issue ends. Um, classic horror setup albeit wrapped in a video game mythology, uh, which is unnecessary, really. To uh, Yes, if you're a fan of Bloodborne and the Souls games, I'm sure it will add to your enjoyment of this issue, but it's, it's, it's not a requirement. It's, it's a pretty standard uh, horror tale, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think Cullen Bunn pushed all of the right buttons the pacing was wonderful it, none of the the uh, oh shit moments were telegraphed uh, albeit you know if, if you have a young girl waiting for her father by a window <laughs> and you've you've mentioned that this song is very hazardous to to hear yes you you can draw that line but uh, as to what's coming I have no idea because um, one would think that uh, he would have ended the tale with the girl being um, the girl succumbing to the Lady of the Lantern song. But it's in the first issue, so there's much more to come in the next four. And Kowalski's just a uh, 
to, to use the vernacular, he's a monster. He's so damn good. Uh, he makes it look effortless, man. Just a uh, very linear approach. Um, organic, yes, but he loves his line, which is fine by me. And I just thought this issue was a winner. That's fantastic. Have you guys ever played... Uh, I, I know Jason won't touch um, Elden Ring. But have you ever played a f one of the Dark Souls games or the Bloodborne? No, I mean, for the same reason I won't play uh, the new one. It's just that uh, there's not a difficulty control. So they're <laughs> insanely hard. Yeah, they are. They really are. They're very frustrating. But... Uh, I, I I realized my mistake in abandoning Bloodborne, and I burned through Elden Ring despite being slapped down uh, <laughs> a multitude of times. And, and mm -hmm. I'm better for the experience. I think I think it's it's one of the better video games I've ever played. If you like uh, uh, consuming realities in in which you know you have to struggle not to want to play the game because the the environment in which you're you're thrown is just so beautifully realized like wow um but yeah I'll, i i think 300 hours is a lot to invest in a video game and and not finish but i still think it was it was worth it especially since i paid what 60 bucks for it like Return on the investment. Where can you get that much entertainment for sixty bucks, three hundred dollars? Oh yeah, yeah. That's true. My, my sons and I actually were hanging out in the pool last weekend, just just talking about that game. How we all, because Colin's replaying Skyrim for like the eighth time, and uh, we were saying like, man, like that, that's a game we all would have absolutely loved if it wasn't so goddamn hard. Yeah, Elden, you know, but yeah. right. One of the uh, one of my students yesterday. Um, there's a couple, uh, three kids in the class that want to be video game uh, concept artists. And uh, I said, anybody playing Elden Ring? And one of this, the, the, the kids said yes. And the other one's like, oh, man, I, I really want to play that. I said, how many credits you take in this semester? He's like, 18. I said, well, don't start playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, because your, your work will suffer. I, I, we always make fun of Joe Mad. Right, how he uh, missed a whole lot of deadlines because he was, uh, yeah. you know, addicted to the PlayStation. I could completely understand it after having played this game. Yeah, Colin Bunn like is one of the hardest working guys in comics. Yeah, for yeah. real, he's just like and he's he works like for every publisher. I yeah, say, yeah, he turns no thing down for no, anybody. He's the Energizer Bunny. And dude is like pretty appreciate like he's pretty candid about like you know he's he's not always the happiest dude he's got confidence issues depression issues but mm -hmm. but uh, he's definitely someone like you want to see success succeed like I, I I would love to see him get like one of his properties just get go meteoric you know right I, because I think he deserves it because I mean yeah. we we've seen where he came from we were there on I, on I, Ground I just, Zero dude, one of my I, I, it doesn't I may not have time or I may not read. It everything he does but he will always just be somebody i am rooting for because of that night sitting by the elevators with him and the somnis yep and michael Oliveri at 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 wizard world man i just it, it's like knowing somebody right before because this was i mean you know the sixth gun i don't even think it was out yet or was no i don't think it was because i mean he had that he had the damned 
He and Brian Hurt do some great work together. And I was going to say, I first heard of him from The Damned. That's yeah. the first time I remember his name. Yeah, it was The Damned first and then The Sixth Gun. And 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 The Damned was a fantastic miniseries, and I know they returned to it. But The Sixth Gun, I mean, that's that's something I would love to see adapted to television. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I usually like to follow up whenever I mention his name that he's hit or miss with me, but it's not in terms of his writing it's the things on which he chooses to work 100 uh, percent, i yeah. agree with yeah. you know he's he's one of the right I, I agree with you completely and i think it's easy for for me to say oh well he should just tighten up what he works on you know because i'm i agree with you but it's easy for me to say dude's got bills to pay right trying to make it right work. so right but yeah no like like i'm with you though i mean i i he he's so prolific and with so many uh, that that there have I'm not gonna lie there have been things that I've checked out because I'm like oh Colin Bunny he's writing this and it just hasn't been much D and it, it and you're exactly right it's it's just more about I I think he's willing and able to take on lots of work that you know ranges from like licensed stuff that probably doesn't have much of a commercial appeal outside of if you're a fan of the licensed product to his own stuff but I. I generate to to the big two stuff, and and I, I but I generally have enjoyed his creator owned and ideated stuff quite a bit. Right, you know. Well, I think it it's a yeah. very good thing that he's writing Bloodborne, what with all the eyes being on Elden Ring, because I'm guessing that uh, a good number of the readership of this book is there because of the game and because of. You know, Elden Ring. It's, it's it's not the same universe, but conceptually, it might as well be, right? Sure. So, sure. Uh, yeah. If someone said to me, "Hey, you want El- want to write an Elden Ring comic?" I'd be like, "Ah, uh, yeah, sure. I don't care. You know, if you're a small or large publisher, I'd do it in a second. Yeah, that universe is so rich, and so is Bloodborne. Uh, it's great. It's it's like uh, the most Wrightson esque video game I think I've started. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but but never finished. Yeah. I mean, for me, his his best work that I've experienced, um, you know, is Harrow Harrow County. I mean, right, I, right. Well, that was great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And he did that book, uh, The Tooth, with Matt Kent, and it's funny because it's like that's one yeah. of the books that like I don't think anyone ever remembers that Matt Kent did. And yet, and 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 you you bring the tooth. To, to a convention for Matt Kent to sign and he he cuts it up and and because there's a coupon on the back and he 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 manipulates manhandles mangles your book um, but who better to do it than he and uh, and it's something you really don't forget but yeah oh, that, it is. totally true yeah I would yeah. not have any reservations of the the creator of the book remarking it or, or yeah. doing anything they wanted to it yeah that's part of the experience yeah absolutely yeah yeah yeah, I mean he's and he's super tight and, and really brought around that that whole Brian Hurt, Tyler Crook, Matt Matt Kent crew. You know, I mean they're all obviously have gone on to do amazing things and, and are I, I I know at least uh for a long time I know Brian and Matt shared a studio. I don't know if they still do, but but I know that they did for many years. So I you know, they're 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 all crewed up. Yep. And I think Colin's still a little salty with me for the around comics forums when I did the Image of the oven with him in the, with his face in the. <laughs> oh jeez! Remember, he's a butt in the oven. Butt in the yes. oven. That's hysterical. But I don't think he thought it was funny. Oh well. Hmm. Oh well. <laughs> hey everybody! Hmm. We thank you. <laughs> we thank you 
for uh, listening to this episode. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, we got to give it up to our patrons because they, you? they are here every day, 24-7, if you want to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash 11 o'clock comics, one one no apostrophe. In your travels, I have to draw a line in the sand for this book. Okay. I almost never, ever do this, but I originally was planning... Uh, I'm talking up The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, Ominous Omnibus, Volume 1. Ominous? Ominous? Ominous Omnibus. It is Ominous Omnibus. No, that's what it's called. Ominous Omnibus. Oh, I thought you'd... Okay. My bad. That was a faux pas. Yeah. It's French. But... uh, (laughs) Because I've been collecting The Simpsons hardcover books... Since the radio, this is the third. The Radioactive Man collection was first. The Simpsons Futurama uh, crossover was the second. And now this beautiful omnibus was delivered to my door. And I've been devouring it. And it's wonderful. But um, I got I received a box today in the mail. Uh, it did not know it was coming. And it was a wonderful surprise. And I opened it up and made the, I had the good fortune and bad fortune. Uh, the good fortune because the book I pulled out completely enthralled me. I, I, I opened up the, the book and I took a look at the artwork and I said, I have to finish this right now. I have to read this and consume it because holy macaroni is this art phenomenal. But sacrifices must be made. So I'm not going to talk about The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, Ominous Omnibus Volume 1. Maybe next time. Maybe whatever. Because this book completely eclipsed the Simpsons collection on the the wonderful O-Meter. And it's, uh, it was originally published under the title Gesh, written and illustrated by Alexi Deacon, published by Flying Eye Books uh, through No Brow. It's called Curse of the Chosen, Volume 1. And it collects book one and book two of the trilogy. Book one, A Matter of Life and Death. Book two, A Game Without Rules. And the reason why I'm drawing the line in the sand is because we all have um, art with which we hold very dear. And and we think, okay, this is the pinnacle of this art form. Uh, For instance... People who don't like the Beatles rub me the wrong way. As you know, Jason has said it, David has said it. If you don't at least acknowledge the mastery of of the art form that the Beatles brought to the table, I have to question your 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 judgment. I uh, you're you, you, right. It's somewhat suspect. If you do not with this book, and I'm challenging everybody, if if to go out. Amazon, wherever you get your books, order Curse of the Chosen, Volume 1, which came out in July. Volume 2 is published, came out in August. If, if you experience these books and you do not at least expound upon the mastery of the visuals and the storytelling, then I got to question your, your, your judgment. I really do. Everything you, you recommend to me, henceforth will be called into question because these books are masterfully done. 
and uh, it, the the setup is is amazing. There there's a uh, a matriarch of this land, the ruler, and she's on her deathbed. Uh, her name's Matarka. So what she does is she plans for her eventual demise by summoning 50 souls from around the kingdom to compete for her position. There's the, the, there's a power vacuum and it needs to be filled. So, so not only does she, I mean, she summons all social strata, all types of people, rank, uh, economic standing, youth, uh, elderly, no matter. She selects 50 and they sign her last will and testament, adding themselves to the challenge, right? But what the contestants don't know is that, save for the winner, they've all signed their death warrants because Niope, the sorceress, who is uh, an evil practitioner of death magic, has corrupted the contest. And those that fall short of the task will die. They will either die or they'll be killed by her and will be reanimated in servitude to the sorceress. So book one, I'm not going to go to book two because there are so many surprises in this thing. I'm not going to, you know, I won't spoil it. For the first challenge, Niope uh, magically spirits away all 50 contestants to, to various locations. And their task being that they must find their way back to the sorceress before dawn the next day. And her argument is that a good ruler should know the land and their place in it. Some of the people land in strange woods, others in proximity of fighting dinosaurs. Another uh, finds themselves in a home that's not their own. One of them is underwater. Uh, one of them's instantly killed by these, these savage feline predators. Uh, so long story short, the first and second place contestants, the first is a young girl. Her name's Eel, and she's the daughter of the Kite Lord. And the second place is a man named Counselor Nemus. And they find out the truth behind the contest, and the sorceress magically silences them. If they attempt to tell anybody else about the way she's undermined the, the, the contest, they choke. They can't even speak. Right? So... Those two, I mean, Nemus is at odds with Eo because they both know the jig is up, right? So he tries to kill her. She defends herself. I don't want to get too much into the story because I think doing so would be a detriment to you people. But uh, the, the author goes into the mechanics of the world, like what makes this place tick? There's life magic and death magic. How do they both work? How are they different? Um but and it's one of those things where the art is in tandem with the storytelling. Great storyteller. The the story just had me consumed, enraptured. I was I was enthralled the whole time. But the art, oh my goodness! Like he'll use really thick and brushy line work for uh, characters in the foreground, and in the background, wispy thin lines like nuance barely there uh, in terms of color the 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 backgrounds will be uh, will showcase delicate like these delicate swaths of color like 
they're almost not there. Barely suggested shapes. And in the foreground, it's like very realized and gritty and textured uh, color uh, splashes. This book is just incredible. It feels like um, illustrations that would accompany a history of folk magic. That's the best I can put it. It's it's old timey. It's it, it looks like uh, vintage artwork from a period long gone. Uh, it it has a British feel to me, like like uh, uh, there's there's a pagan edge to it, an earthy organic pagan edge, and I just I think and I said this on the Slack. The guys love to mock me. Like, oh, Vince will, you know, read this in six months, none of which has ever come true. But by the way, um, it, it hasn't. But I'm telling you right now. Are you serious? It, right? I'm telling you right now. This book, probably both volumes, if we get the third by the end of the year, all three will be on my 11 o'clock I cannot justify not putting this book on my 11 o'clock It's that good. And I'm telling you, I, I'm very scared for you both to read it because if you're not and if you're not captivated by this book, I'm going to have to be, I'm going to feel some kind of way because it is a masterpiece. It's easily the best thing I've read all year. Wow. Without it, without doubt. So just don't talk about it if you don't like it. And then I'll never know. You're adorable. It's phenomenal and worth every penny. Thick ass volume, beautiful textured paper. It's a soft cover. I don't know why they felt the need to put a, a dust jacket on it, but they did. Oh. Whatever. Whatever. Um, I want them in hardcovers. Hopefully we'll get a one-volume, all-in-one uh, collection of this thing when it when it's all said and done. No Brow does that, right? They do collected volume. I think so, actually. I mean, we... we um, Skip was a hardcover before it became a... So, I mean, I know they do do some... But I mean, like big collections. Like collections. Like booze, I don't, I think don't so. know. Tony left to tell us. Okay, but but please, please, if, if I'm taking my glove out and I'm smacking you with it, this is a challenge. I'm, I'm it's a challenge. It tomorrow. Go go to Amazon or wherever. Yeah. I every... mean, if Tony loved me and he sent me the books, I might read them. I, don't, I mean, you'll get them. Um, it's got to go up to the mountain, Jason. Wherever. Give it a minute. <laughs> you get you get books. Um, get these books. And read them. Guaranteed. The fact that it's no-brow makes me think that maybe for once your hyperbole is going to be backed up. Mm, well, okay. But I'm telling you, this is easily... No, I'm saying I think it will, is my point. Good. Easily the best thing I've read this year. Without question. Oh, that's big talk. I, I'm, I'm, Man, you're so fascinating. Because, like, the idea that young, like, YA graphic novels would be would be the thing that you think is the best thing you've read all year considering it's, like what a small pocket of of the stuff that you read fits that bill is so fascinating to me but it's it's dark i mean people die in this book sure there, there's bloodshed in it it's not it, it it it's not uh reduced to the equivalent of a you know a saturday morning cartoon there's some disturbing stuff in this book mm -hmm. it's it's not explicit uh it's not manga right but it it's it's artfully presented and and just so nuanced and uh, I think his storytelling is phenomenal. Nice. You will lose all sense of time and place reading this thing. So just get it. 
you've you've taken your foot and drawn a line in the dirt. I am. Alexi Deacon. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It, it's spelled Alexis. Alexis. I'm. I, I'll. Yeah, it's uh, maybe, <laughs> but I don't want to. I mean, he's male, so I'm going with Alexi. Uh, and it's called Curse of the Chosen, Volume One, Flying Eye Books, uh, in uh, cooperation with No Brow. Get it. Get it. Get it. Nicely done. I didn't spoil uh, anything either. Okay, well, I'll let you know. Okay. Um, in your travels, um, we haven't mentioned Tom King in about a week. So <laughs> uh, I recently read a Tom King book, um, a one-shot, and it's illustrated by Mitch Sherrods, who was mentioned earlier. This, um, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Um, I just have <laughs> I, I I have to. Listen, Wait, just, I, I I I I just I say it and and I have to live it. Just you know the realization that not every character is the character that I grew up with, and uh, the changes have been made, and times change as well. Uh, so the characters may adapt to reflect those changes but this is batman one bad day the riddler number one which is odd because i think it's only the only number one they're going to be a bunch of batman one bad day one shots throughout the next like eight months or so um this one is uh we get a take on riddler's origin uh how he wasn't born edward nigma um but the 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 issue starts off with um a man talking to his wife he's leaving the office he's uh getting home so this way he can take his daughter to soccer practice and the other end we're only hearing one side of the conversation but it sounds like um the daughter is excited about soccer but uh is feeling kind of nervous about uh, going to practice and and uh it, it it's a very familiar conversation and and um if your parent i'm sure it rings very true and 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 if you're a child um i'm sure uh you may have overheard your parents having a conversation similar to this but on his uh as he leaves the office building and walks outside um the rest of the panels on the page go black and we cut to video footage of uh Jonathan Oates leaving the office building and the Riddler walks up behind him and blows his head off and um, no reason there's you know Gordon and company are investigating the hell out of it want to know if maybe um, money was owed if he pissed someone off if if he stole Riddler's girlfriend no no connection between the Riddler and Jonathan Oates, and uh, and, that, and that bit of a mystery goes throughout the entire issue. Um, and it looks like that uh, there is that there is a really interesting conversation while uh, Riddler's being interrogated by Gordon, um, and uh, Riddler asks Gordon, you know, 
How'd the Joker know you'd be home with Barbara that day? How'd he know where you live? How did he get past your security? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's so weird. He's a weird guy, but he's never been much of a planner. And, and, and the whole idea behind this one shot is that the Riddler is extremely smart. Edward Nigma is, uh, at least in Tom's hands, uh, is, is up there with, uh, Bruce and Lex and Michael Holt, who's name dropped in this issue. Um, he's, he's very methodical. He's very intelligent. Um, but Nigma is telling Gordon how the conversation went. You know, Joker calls him up and he's asking, you know, how's tricks? I want to do this, you know, whole one bad day thing. And I'm wondering if that's going to be a theme throughout the rest of the books that, that, that Joker may be involved in some way, shape or form. But, um, but Riddler, you know, it's like, you know, how, why don't you, um, if you're really trying to come up with an idea, why don't, um, why don't you go after uh, the commissioner's daughter? He and and because the Riddler had the whole thing staked out, it would have been extremely easy to take out Gordon or Barbara. But he got bored with the whole thing, um, so I'll sell you the whole idea. I'll let you know where Gordon lives, and uh, and you can take it from there. Um, and uh, and Gordon flips because obviously this is Nigma saying that he basically set up. Um, the events in the killing joke, but the, um, in between the arguments, the, the, the threats we get, um, Enigma's origin at, uh, in boarding school where his father was the headmaster. Um, and Edward as a child in school knew the answers on the test. He, he studied the material. He knew exactly what was being done. Uh, or was being taught, what was going to be quizzed on. But the instructor, the teacher, always had a riddle at the end of every test. It was just extra credit. Um, but Edward felt some kind of way because it, would, it wouldn't necessarily be extra credit. It would actually be applied towards the grade. And because he couldn't anticipate the riddle and he didn't know what the answer could be, it affected his grade and 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 he was extremely upset about that and and the teacher's just like you know dude you gotta chill i know who your dad is i know he's the headmaster but you just gotta eat. I'm, I'm teaching you this like i put the river at the end of it because i just not everything's so serious you gotta be able to take a break take a breather and and just relax a little bit and and, and edward really can't wrap his head around that he ends up getting an answer key so this way he knows what the answer to the riddle is going to be. But the morning of the test, the teacher had another riddle he thought would have been more timely, better fitting, changed it. Of course, Edward answers, puts the answer down for what the riddle was originally going to be. And that's when the teacher's like, so obviously you cheated. I'm going to have to tell your dad. Um, and Edward snaps and, uh, and, and kills the teacher. We also find out Edward's mother was kind of a whore, uh, and Edward goes and visits her off off panel. Uh, Batman hasn't seen a whole lot in this issue. He does try to come up. He does try to you know work on the the mystery uh, of what Nigma was doing and why he killed this dude at the beginning of the issue, um, and because of what Nigma does in this issue, like. 
everybody's scared shitless of the dude. Um, no favor that he asks is ever said no to. Um, he, he he's given a wide berth wherever he goes. Uh, he seems to be like the the head honcho, and and uh, it's it's a very interesting one shot to get to get some. I, I liked there are some things in it that I absolutely adored. I thought it was a neat, neat tweak, a neat twist, a neat little touch that, uh, that added things to the Batman with those legends over the years. Um, and then there's just some things that I just, that, and it's a me thing that may not just sit right with me. Other people may absolutely adore it. I get that, you know, really may not be high on the list for a lot of people when it comes to Batman's rogues, but, um, I just, I appreciate seeing the character show a little bit of respect, which isn't always the case. And, and there are times in this issue that kind of isn't either. But um, I thought it was a really, really good one shot. Um, Mitch's art helps tell the tale a lot. There's a lot of Bruce Wayne in this as well, uh, which is slightly odd. But uh, just to see him appear so often in it. But uh, but yeah, it, it, just the way they kind of made Riddler this uh, almost like evil mind sucking beast who just, you know, manipulates people with words. And it's, it's, it was, it's just, it's not a way that I've seen Riddler in, in, uh, in recent years, but uh, no, I thought it was, um, I thought it was really interesting. I'm curious to see, uh, I'll probably check out some of the other one shots over the next few months. Um, But I thought, uh, I was pleasantly surprised because it it, it, it it could have gone one way and the way that Riddler's been treated recently, I, I, I expected it to kind of go that way and the fact that it didn't um, made it a positive for me. So in your travels, Batman, one bad day, the Riddler. Right on. Um, in your travels, check out Ant-Man. Uh, never been a character that I have... Uh, like adored uh, in in any of the versions, but uh, but a fixture. And as an Avengers head, he's always been around. Um, but this uh, is a new new series, new miniseries written by Al Ewing, which is a draw. And the real triumph here is uh, Tom Riley is the artist, and uh, you know Tom's been doing a lot of work at Marvel lately. Uh, he did a Thor a, a thing miniseries uh, not too long ago. And, uh, you know, we you talked earlier about getting new creators on the come up. I mean, we met Tom, what was he, 19 when we met him? I mean, we, we've known Tom from literally his first page of published work. And I think even then we saw that he was talented, which is why he was getting published work at such a young age. But as with any person in their craft, um, you know, you can be good at the start, but you can get a lot better. And I think that, um, I mean, the thing miniseries looked great. Uh, b- but for some reason, when I saw this first issue of Ant-Man, I was like, okay, my dude has arrived. Like, like th- this, he is now fully formed. And I think if you're a fan of the Chris Somney, Elsa Charitier, school of illustration then tom has i think risen to that 
into that grouping where where he you know I, I can't see you not loving his work um it's just beautiful it really is beautiful it's so clean i mean it's just crispy and clean uh and and just the big thick black line you know again very somni-esque but but i just i thought this first issue looked incredible um and it was a fun nifty little story uh it's it's set in early days uh of hank and janet are dating and uh suddenly a bunch of ant-man's enemies show up to try and uh, mess things up, and um, it becomes pretty clear that we're going to see a bunch of different uh, ant men from different different parts of the multiverse, and uh, that's pretty neat. It was well done. It was fun, and you know, I mean, I was a great writer, but uh, but but to me, this is really gets the shout out because of Tom's art. I just I thought it was incredible. I I I, uh, I, I was just totally 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 enamored with. Uh, with with what uh, young young Mister Riley has evolved into as a storyteller, that's fantastic. Did we lose Vince again? No, I'm right here. Oh, taking care you're of business, about, my friend. You know about the pregnant pauses today. <laughs> taking care of business. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, everybody, next week, book of the month, correct? Sure, why not? It is Frank Miller, Sin City, Volume 1. I think it's Volume 1, right? The Dark Horse material is considered Volume 1. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll be here, and we'll have some kind of, maybe we'll have some whiskey waiting for you, appropriate to the the book, right? Let's all drink whiskey next week. Not going to happen, but I would love to see it, but it's so not going to happen for you guys. I'll get it. Yeah, Vince would. Yeah, I'm not going to, so it's not even... Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Hey, I mean, I can good. lie next week and say I got yeah, a Yeah, we'll give you some iced tea, some apple cider. We'll get him one of them twisted teas. <laughs> get them all worked up. But anyway, come back next week, book of the month. Uh, we'll be waiting for you. We love you so much. In the meantime, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. Check out our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash 11 o'clock comics. Say goodnight. He's gonna screw up this week. He's gonna screw up. He's, He's not going because he hit he hit the stopwatch. I know. Well, one could hope. Why do we want to see our best friend fail? I don't. Isn't that weird? Oh, you don't. <laughs> I'm always rooting for success and trying to offset your negative karma. Negative? I'm positivity central. <clears throat> ah, David. Night. He's gonna screw up right here. He's gonna <laughs> screw up. Ain't no chance. Ain't no thing but a chicken wing. Get on the sand, man, will ya? Bro, relax. Dream of a Thousand Cats was awesome. I told the patrons in the previews video. That I wasn't gonna watch Sandman until I got the next Sandman video out. Nice. Patrons, so. How about that shit? Oh, here's an episode you didn't plan on getting, and it's oh, yeah, great. Yeah, and yeah. it's great. Like, Calliope was wonderful. It was very well done. That's uh, that, that 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 that's some Dave Chappelle shit because they did that at the uh, end of one of his specials where you just keep watching, you get the best of the credits, and he's. Just on stage at some nightclub, just chilling. 
And you know who the uh, author character is in Calliope? You don't. No, I it, don't. It's Rory. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Oh, from the Gilmore Girls? No, from no. Do- Doctor Who. From Doctor Who. Oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Arthur Darvel. He um, actually he played uh, Rip Hunter on Legends of Tomorrow for anybody who still stuck with that show. Okay. Nice. We're out of here. We love you so much. Come back next week and Jason will be enthusiastic. <laughs> what, for once? For the yeah, right. <laughs> <Bye, James. laughs> He's baffled. Baffled. Bye. Tell them you love them so much. Give them a big hug. I love them a lot. I love you. Now, I know you don't mean that, so I'm just pretending you didn't even say it. <laughs> Facts. That's it for that one. <laughs>